0: Pfizer recently said that their COVID-19 vaccine would generate sales uh, of approximately $26 billion this year. Um, We discussed this a couple of weeks ago and noted that um, sales for the rest of 2021 could sort of go northward because that was based on contracts that Pfizer had signed by mid April. Uh, It was interesting to note this week that analysts at Bernstein now model that over the next two years, so by the end of 2022, they, they forecast that sales of the vaccine uh, will reach around about $70 billion. An eye-watering figure, I'm sure you'll agree. Um, what's the thinking behind Bernstein's sort of updated projections? Well, just over a week ago, there was a big deal signed between Pfizer and the European Union. Uh, 1.8 billion doses of the vaccine um, and Michael this also means that the EU is is kind of being you know it's kind of buying into the idea that we are going to need boosters potentially over the next few years because that contract if you just you know do the simple maths basically means that they can vaccinate uh, every EU citizen four times over so I guess that validates the argument that Pfizer has been putting forward about boosters, which obviously in turn uh, suggests that this may be, you know, a more sustainable revenue stream over the next couple of years.
1: Yeah, and there's, you know, I think that's, that would be good news, not just for Pfizer, but for Moderna and, you know, all these other mRNA vaccine companies that might get in on the mix. CureVac comes to mind. Um, But, yeah, that suggests that there is going to be a lot of money out here for for Pfizer and others, but especially Pfizer to play with, which is really interesting because obviously they have not, you know, they have a history of not being shy about making deals. I guess the real question is, where do they put this money together? You know, where do they put it to, to good use? I saw Bernstein says they're going to have a free cash flow of 20 billion dollars which is just insane. Um any thoughts on on where they go from here?
0: Well, like you said, you know, obviously legacy in M&A if we're talking, you know, back over the last couple of decades now. Um I think the new CEO who's who's, who's, who's you know Albert baller who's been in charge for a few years now he's been less obviously focused on those really big m&a deals um you know the last deal that that Pfizer did um they they bought Array Biosciences which is a a cancer specialist for about 12 billion dollars a couple of years ago i mean he's obviously as the ceo he's been sort of overseeing some other major sort of structural changes so they spun out the the upjohn unit last year which is the kind of the established older products um They've set up a consumer joint venture, uh, joint venture with GlaxoSmithKline. So they've kind of, you know, they're kind of focusing on the innovative kind of portfolio, and perhaps, you know, now that you know the 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 impacts of the pandemic is 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 hopefully uh, receding, you know, maybe it's ripe and it's the right time for Pfizer to be thinking about deals. You know, it all kind of makes sense. You know, there's there's money in the coffers, um, they are focused, you know, they seem to be focusing on on, on wanting to sort of uh, sharpen up, you know, what they do in terms of innovative R&D. And there's also, there's a couple of other factors that come into play. You know, Ibrant's, um is Pfizer's breast cancer drug. It's one of its biggest sellers. Um, it's still going to make the company, you know, decent money over the next few years but the growth is is likely to slow um, possibly you know sales are, are possibly going to decline because it hasn't um, demonstrated um, efficacy in earlier stage breast cancer patients and notably one of its competitors a drug that marketed by Eli Lilly has so there's question marks over the kind of growth momentum for ibrants and then obviously there's also this this big sort of uh, question mark at the moment over the JAK inhibitors, which is a drug class um, uh, for inflammatory conditions that Pfizer has, has been a real pioneer in, but it's actually that drug, um, Zalgans, which has been tied, uh, you know, associated with these, this increased risk of, of cardiovascular events and malignancies. Um And I I don't think anyone is expecting Zelljantz to be withdrawn from the market, but certainly, you know, we're talking a lot about what regulators are going to say. And then there's a knock-on effect with newer JAK inhibitors and whether they are going to be, um, you know, the the uptake of them in the future is going to be constrained by association with Zelljantz and how regulators treat the safety labelling of those drugs and pfizer you know as expected because it's it's been a leader in the jack inhibitor class has also you know made big investments in newer uh, jack inhibitors as well so i definitely think that there are a few um factors in play which suggest that that you know pfizer uh, could be on the lookout for deals but it's going to be competitive you know i think there's other companies you know merck it's it's big rival in the us um is another company that if you, if you listen to what management are saying recently, they are very much um, talking about reducing their dependence on Keytruda and they, they kind of know that investors are looking for them to do deals as well. And there's, there's a handful of other companies that are in a, you know, a not dissimilar position. Um, one area I was really keen to, to talk to you about this week, we've had another development setback in the field of Nash or non-alcoholic steatohepatitis. I mean, we're now, Michael, we're a far cry from the sort of heady days of 2014 when, you know, Nash was being touted as this sort of huge, untapped primary care opportunity for the industry. Um, And this week, it was a company called NGM Biopharmaceuticals that reported some negative phase two data for their Nash drug. Uh, c- you know, can you sort of expand a bit on you know what what the drug is and sort of what went wrong? As in, you know, what didn't the data show that they were hoping it would show? Sure.
1: So I think yeah, you know, you point out that uh, we are far cry from two thousand fourteen. Yeah, I mean, like analyst projections uh, a few years ago were suggesting that Nash drugs were going to be you know, a market of 20 or even $30 billion in less than a decade. So uh, obviously things have not exactly gone to plan with some of the more, you know, the later stage and higher profile uh, agents falling by the wayside, one of which we can get to in a minute. But um, the, this issue specifically with NGM and their Aldofermin, um, is, so basically it is one of a number of candidates targeting fibroblast growth factor that are in development, you know, given FGF's known connection with fibrosis, it just makes sense, given that that's really at the heart of NASH. You know, this agent had shown some pretty interesting or encouraging mid-stage data and people got kind of excited about it. Then this phase 2B trial just read out this week and it wasn't a total flop. You know, there may be an effect there because aldofermin, the low dose and the high dose, both actually showed um, an effect, but and it's a big but the middle dose actually did worse than placebo which raises all sorts of questions uh, first it raises questions about the program which um you know perhaps well i don't want to say surprisingly but interestingly ngm said that they are actually now going to give up on aldefermin in this f2 f3 fibro fibrosis population um and you often see com- you know smaller companies especially you know, they're willing to just keep on running against the same wall over and over and over because, you know, oftentimes they don't have a lot in their pipeline. The fact, that MGM is just saying, you know what, we're actually going to go back to the drawing board um, and give up on this one. It actually speaks highly of their their research pipeline um, and suggests they have more than just a plan A. They have some plan B and C. But anyway, the the unwillingness to move forward with this l Furman is pretty interesting, though, because it probably reflects a a bigger problem that people, that companies in the NASH space are facing. And that is that endpoints may be highly variable. In fact, we sort of suggest knew that, or at least thought that already, but you know, this phase 2B trial may really speak to the heart of that. And it just, if you can't count on an endpoint being um, consistent, it just introduces a whole bunch of uncertainty, a whole bunch of luck into the drug development process which is something that nobody obviously wants and maybe one of the reasons uh, in fact i'm sure it probably is that uh, ngm said you know what we're going to we're going to move in a different direction so it's 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 a cloud that's been hanging over the the nash space i think for for a few years now and this will you know sort of add more um, i don't know weight to the questions that the companies are facing in this space because there's you know as we said there's this huge bolus of money out there um if somebody can get to something to market but you know um this shows that the it's not so easy it's not as easy as we thought it was going to be back in 2014 when everybody was all excited
0: and of course the the company um that kind of started you know the kind of i guess the sort of the gold rush mentality which was intercept pharmaceuticals um i think it was sort of if i'm if i remember rightly it was sort of the phase two data that they presented for their drug back in 2014 that product i believe is is on the market for another indication but then there's been a bit of controversy about that drug this week as well hasn't there <sighs>
1: Yeah. So it's on the market for a very um, small orphan indication, primary biliary cholangitis. So PBC, Um, and this is patients with like very advanced cirrhosis of the liver. So this was the drug that, yeah, got everybody excited uh, about the the prospects of NASH um, back in the, I don't know, 2013, 14 timeframe. And um, it is on the market, as I said, for PBC. So this week, Um, The FDA basically issued another um, advisory restricting use to, um, I think, very, you know, very seriously advanced patients, which is not, you know, what the company is going to want to hear because they're trying to get it approved. They're still trying to get it approved in this very, you know, large market of NASH. So the, the safety questions have continued to pile up for this Okaleva drug. And, you know, obviously that raises serious questions about whether it's going to follow in the footsteps, well, not follow the footsteps, but whether it can get over the hump in NASH um, because, you know, it's just, it's not looking good at this point.
0: Okay. Okay. I mean, moving on and away from NASH to the oncology space, um, a drug called Kabametics, uh, which is marketed by Exolysis and Ipsen Pharmaceuticals, um, it's become a, a pretty important drug and one that we we tend to write about a lot um, in a number of indications, but most prominently of which is is renal cell carcinoma, um, where actually if if you look at what oncologists say, they you know they kind of view it as well, a lot of them, a lot of them view it as the the best sort of tyrosine kinase inhibitor option that's out there now, um, but. For those that have, um, you know, followed the development of this drug closely, you know, the initial focus, uh, you know, years ago had been to secure approval in prostate cancer. And I know that there was some new phase one data that was sort of announced this week that sort of suggests that, particularly in the US, exolysis might be kind of getting to that sort of stage of, of getting it, you know, certainly in the hands of regulators and and letting them decide or letting the FDA decide what the future of this drug is in prostate cancer. But I I believe that there's a few sort of potential issues here shaped in part by what competitors in the same market are, are looking to do as well.
1: Right, I think that it's got two issues. Exos, exilicit, Exelixis and Ipsen are facing two issues: one from within, one from without. So the the issues that they're facing from within are based on they've gotten sort of the, the question marks have been uh, heightened this week because so they were they were uh, reported some phase one b data before uh, last year, I believe, at ASCO, and it suggested that this combination of cabomatics and t centric had a response rate of 33% in this high risk um, castration resistant prostate cancer population. So, you know, that was interesting. 33% is is pretty, um, I think that the, the bar I've seen from different uh analysts like somewhere above 20 percent or even 30 percent is you know it's something that would be perhaps worthy of consideration for accelerated approval so people were getting kind of excited okay cabamedics which has an interesting history in prostate cancer it got rejected back into the it fell flat i should say in, in a phase three trial back in 2014 uh, before then basically having a resurgence in renal cell and hepatocellular carcinoma. But so it failed as a single agent. Now Exelixis is back testing it in combination with a PD-1 inhibitor. So, um, you know, it, it's um, – and now it's it's showing some activity. It's showing some interesting activity, and people were like, okay, maybe, th- maybe this is uh, – you know, Cabomedics is time to shine in prostate cancer. Unfortunately, the issues from within emerged this week because uh, they res- uh, reported some updated phase 1B resp- results suggesting that the response rate had actually dropped. Um, it was 27% according to the clinical investigators, but even more problematically, the response rate had dropped to 18% when the data were evaluated by a blinded independent review, which I think, that's probably the number that FDA is gonna take into account. You know, they're gonna care more about this 18%, which is below the threshold that a lot of analysts have suggested, you know, would be needed for an accelerated approval. So that's problem number one. Problem number two is that Novartis is, you know, they've been reporting data for their radioligand in this similar sort of late stage, high risk metastatic uh, prostate cancer uh, population they've been reporting some data that's looked pretty good from the phase three vision trial. And analysts now think that next week, so pretty quickly here, Novartis is going to report some updated results from this, or actually detailed results from this vision trial that probably are going to raise the bar on what would be necessary from a prostate cancer drug in this setting. Uh, it'll probably become like sort of the new standard and quickly be, you know, approved by FDA and everything. So that's going to raise the bar for cabometrix. What Exelixis and Ipsen do going forward, obviously, is is a question mark. They said after reporting this phase one b data this week that, you know, they're planning to go to the FDA and they think they have a shot at accelerated approval. It sounds like, you know, analysts think mm, we'll see. <laughs> There's question marks about that. Um, but of course, Exelixis wants to get it gone, you know, get this process going as fast as possible, because they they're going to face some uh, generic challenges for Cavamedics before too long. I think I saw somewhere written that it was 2026 might be, uh, you know, generics as soon as then. So, you know, if they can get this approved, uh, that'll be a big deal. Uh, This is a big market. But now there's sort of questions about the data and questions about competitors, perhaps raising the bar. So interesting, uh, interesting things going on.
0: Okay. Yeah, we'll certainly be keeping an eye on that next week. Um, the data you're talking about from the vision study for the Novartis drug is one of the late breaking a- abstracts. Um, but yeah, they, it has, according to the company, uh, that that study has hit its um, end point in terms of overall survival and I think um, radiographic progression-free survival. So as you alluded to, you know that looks like it's a high bar. Um, and I think from memory i think you know i think we spoke to an expert a couple of months ago and i think you know there's a there's a kind of a strong view that that, that product will quite quickly um you know move into potentially move into earlier line settings assuming that the data is positive and, and and the fact that it's 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 hitting overall survival in later line patients suggests that's the case another interesting i guess for those companies um developing cabometics, another interesting Thing to watch at ASCO next week will be the data for Keytruda, Merck and Co's Keytruda, in um, early stage renal cell carcinoma. Um, and one of the really things, one of the really thing, you know, things I'm really looking forward to, to hearing is is the sort of discussion around if you're going to use immunotherapy in earlier stage um, renal cell uh, cancer patients, what the potential knock-on effect is. Um, for metastatic treatment of of, of subsequent metastatic disease because that has kind of emerged as a really competitive market for uh, these immunotherapies but also the the targeted drugs like cabometics as well so um we'll be back next week and i imagine that asco will be um front and centre of our thoughts on next week's podcast. I know, Michael, you've literally got off the phone to a, a key opinion leader about um, the the early stage data that, or the, the data for Rochester centric in early stage lung cancer patients. Um, so hopefully we can chat around that a little bit next week as well. And we're also um, presenting some data from some oncologist surveys next week um, which we fielded in response to those results. And also we will uh, present some data from oncologists about uh, the combination of uh, Obdivo and Relatimab, which is a Bristol-Myles uh, Squibs LAG3 inhibitor. So um, if you're a, a First Word Pharma Plus subscriber, keep an eye out uh, for that and an eye out for um, for the article that we'll be writing up about this key opinion leader interview uh, about the um the early stage lung cancer space um michael as always it's been a pleasure um have a great weekend and uh, to everyone out there thanks for listening cheers